0: You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you this morning. If you're new, my name is Marco. I am the lead pastor of Radiant. Thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Hey, I know that we saw it on the announcements, but I want to reiterate this... Wednesday night, we're having our prayer, our monthly prayer and worship meeting. We're praying for Gen Z, ages 9 to 24 years old, that God would move in the hearts of young people in our city, in our nation. Listen, not only that, but we're going to have Gen Z pray for Gen Z. So we're going to have about 8 or 9 or 10 young people on stage praying us through that night. It's going to be incredible. I would love it. If you had some time to come on out, pray with us, encourage these young prayer warriors in their prayers, it would be uh, amazing for you to be here. It's going to be a great time of us meeting and gathering and praying to the Lord. This Wednesday night, it begins at 6.30. Well, listen, uh, just three weeks ago, I announced the For Future Generations Billing Campaign God has called us uh, to make room here for more people to know him, love him, and serve him. And the initiative is entitled For Future Generations. And listen, if you're new and you want more information about For Future Generations, we're having one more informational meeting right after service, right in the green room to my right. It'll be hosted by myself and Kinsey Moffitt. And we'll give you some goodies there, some pastries, and we'll also give you all the information that you need For Future Generations, all right? Well, today is day number 14 of our spiritual journey. If you have one of these brochures uh, and you're following along with our daily Bible reading, if not, just go to radiantbc.com and you can download that yourself today. Um, Everything that you'll need for future generations is on there. And then as a reminder, next week, Sunday, May 21st, We'll gather together. It's going to be a real significant uh, point for our church, a monumental Sunday for us. Listen, we'll gather together, and then we're going to make that commitment of what we're going to give beyond the tithe for the next 24 months for future generations. We'll also bring, you'll also bring your best offering to the Lord, to the King. You're going to give an offering that will go towards that 24 months in our hopes to raise uh, $600,000. I'm hoping that we'll get a million dollars, to be honest with you, and we'll begin construction this fall. That's my prayer. I'm not going to mince my words there, but listen, it's going to be an amazing time of uh, stirring up our faith, and I'm so excited for what God will do in and through God's faithfulness and our generosity to Him. And then one more note, just because people have asked me, is even on the tithe envelopes, uh, if you're not going to be here next week, no big deal. Listen, uh, those commitment cards will be made available every Sunday. Afterwards, just whenever you come back from vacation or if you're traveling from work, just fill it out. Bring in your offering for future generations, and then even on the tithe envelopes, there will be uh, an area for you to fill out when you're giving monthly to that initiative. Okay, well, today is part number three of our four-week series for future generations because I want you guys to know this is not just about a new sanctuary and new offices and, and we need a lot more kids' rooms, of course. But listen, it's bigger than that. It's about God taking His church corporately, us as a body, on a spiritual journey. Week number one, we talked about faith. And the faith that's necessary for us to step into God's desired outcome for our lives as a church, you as individuals. We looked at Caleb in Numbers 13 and chapter 14. We also looked at Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, his courage. That if you're going to step into God's purpose, his destiny for your life, it's going to require courage. We need courage as a church today. And then today we're talking about the topic of generosity. Generosity that if we are going to step into everything God has for us, it's going to take us to open up our hands and our hearts to Him. God is looking for a generous people. So we're going to open up our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse number 19, this is kind of smack dab in the middle of um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, A lot of you will be familiar with these words. If you're not, no big deal. Uh, They'll be on the screen behind me. Um, But this begins in verse number 19, and these are the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So it begins with this prohibition. Do not. Where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moss and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of light. Of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse number 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you're gonna despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's take a few moments. Before we dive into the words of Jesus, let's pray. Let's get our hearts ready. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to to give us ears to hear what he might say to us today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time gathering together with your body, with the bride of Christ, Lord. Lord, you gave your life for the church, Lord. We should also be devoted to it because you're committed to the body. We should also be committed to the body, Lord. And so we thank you for just allowing us to be here together, to hear your word. Father, we just pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might open blind eyes, that you would unlock deaf ears, and God, that you would soften hardened hearts. Uh, We often know that life can be very difficult, that we struggle with different things, disappointments and disillusionment, Lord, and it leaves us with a hardened heart. So God, by the power of your Spirit, soften Hardened hearts, break up fallow ground, as the prophet says, and so that you may speak to us. But more importantly, God, we can hear it, because when we hear it truly and take it in and then apply it, that's what leads to a changed life. So, God, go before us, do what only you could do, God, through the preaching of your word. We magnify the name of Jesus today. In His name, we pray. All God's people said, "Amen." Awesome. Listen. You guys might remember earlier this week, last week actually, um, we had an 80 degree day. It was on Thursday, I believe. It was the stuff that dreams are made of here in Michigan, right? Black stones were out across every neighborhood, and grills were out. And you, as you took a walk through the neighborhood, you smelled barbecue and ribs and hot dogs. It was like, oh, right, summer is on its way, and it was just a beautiful day. And in my house, about midway through the day, towards the end of the day, uh, the inside of our house got a a bit warm and sticky. You know what I mean? Like, it just gets, like, musky inside and kind of uncomfortable. And I looked at the thermostat, and it was about 74 degrees inside of the house. Now, for me, that's a little uncomfortable. I'm just like, ugh. I'm just like... You know, it's a little sticky for me. Now, I understand that for some of you here and you're watching online, you have like this agreement, or the parents do anyways, uh, this pact that you've made. And sometimes, right, the dads will say, we're not turning the AC on until June 1st, okay? Suck it up, buttercup, okay? I hear this kind of thing going around in fall time as well, right? Heat is not going on until November 1st. I don't care what happens. Even if little Susie wakes up with icicles on her feet, it's November 1st. So don't get any ideas. Put on extra clothes, okay? You sleep with extra pair of jeans on if you have to. But we're not turning the heat on in our house until November 1st. Now, I'm here this morning to simply just kind of set the record straight. As for me and my household, uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh. We cold, we turn the heat on. We hot, AC's coming on. I don't care when it is, okay? Okay, so 74 degrees in my house, AC comes on because the good Lord gave us AC to use it. Someone say amen. Amen. He gave us a good gift, and I'm gonna steward that gift well. And so we turned the AC on to just kind of, you know, cool things down in our home, and it was comfortable after just, you know, 45 minutes or so. And we were able to tell the temperature of the inside of our house because of the thermostat, okay? Now, let me just lead you to a spiritual application here, though. Hear me, church. Just as the thermostat was the indicator of the temperature inside of our house, according to Jesus, how we use our money reveals the temperature of our hearts for God. Hmm, some of you are like, oh, ooh okay, hold on, Pastor, it's Mother's Day, easy on the conviction, I don't want to hear from the Lord, I just want to go, I want want to just go to church and get a nice little meal afterwards. It's true, though, how we use our money reveals the temperature of our hearts to God. Jesus said where your treasure is, wherever your treasure is, and you're like, well, what's that mean? I'll explain what that means your heart will be also. Let me say it even more clearly. It's this. Our use of money is probably the most reliable external indicator of where our heart is at with God. I know we don't like to hear that in church, but it's true. Jesus said it, not me. The heart, listen, The money, rather, how we use it is the most reliable external indicator of where our heart is at with God. So listen, if if we're tight-fisted, okay, if we're greedy, if we're fearful of giving to the Lord, what does that do? It just reveals the condition of our hearts. Now, you can argue with me all you want, but it's just the truth. Jesus here in verse 19 all the way to verse 34 Is really talking about the context is giving the whole thing actually, all the way to verse 34. Now, I know he talks about do not worry, but it's in the context of actually giving. And Jesus begins with this prohibition, right? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather store up treasures in heaven. And some of you are like, wait a second. You know, is Jesus against my GMC? Is Jesus against my side-by-side, okay? Is Jesus against my whatever, you name it, the toy, the clothes, whatever it is that you have? Is Jesus against all of my nice stuff? And I would say, well, not necessarily, not necessarily. In fact, in fact, let me say this, God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. If you don't leave with anything else I want you to leave with the theology that God is a good gift giver. He is really good at giving gifts. He's so good at giving gifts. He gave us his one and only son that whoever shall believe and trust in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not withhold anything from his kids, from his people, from the from the earth. He gave it all. But here's what I want you to see church that because we are his kids We're actually to model and emulate who? The character of our Father. Therefore, Christians need to be the same way. Givers, not takers. We're open-handed, right? We're not counting everything. We're not obsessing over how much we don't have or do have. Listen, I know we've got to have a budget and all that's good. But listen, we can live generously because he gives generously, And so I want you to understand that because it starts with the theology of who God is. Do we believe God is a generous giver? If you don't, this is going to be very difficult for you to get. You see, what Jesus wants us to know here is that when we make the pursuit of the stuff, our focus, our hearts, they so easily, so quickly become fixated on that thing or those things that we are desiring or we want, right? Jesus knows that wherever our treasures are at, that's where we find our hearts at the same time. Well, what does that mean? That means this. Think about this, church. Where's all your time going to? I'm not going to answer that for you. I can't. But where's all your time going to? Where's all your energy going towards? Where's all your focus and your best ideas? Where are they, where's that all going towards? Well, guess what? That place, whatever it is, that's where your heart's at. That's where your heart's at. That's where your heart's at. This is the point that Jesus is trying to make with all of us today. And it happens by default. We don't plan it. We don't, you know, go into it even knowing consciously most of the time. It just happens by default. The location of our treasures dictates the location of our hearts. Scholar Craig Blomberg, he's a New Testament scholar, he wrote this. He says, the way people handle their finances affects every other part of their lives, either for good or for bad. Now, you don't have to agree with it, and you don't have to like it, but it's the truth. And the truth is like that bouncy ball in the pool. It just always pops up to the surface. We can try to ignore the truth, snub the truth, but the truth just, it pops up. Oh, there it is again. <laughs> we see the truth. This is the truth, right? That the way we handle money, it's, it's just, it just affects our lives for the good or for the bad. Now, be encouraged, church, that God's not after your money. You're like, oh. That does not give you an excuse to withhold from him, though. Because why? Because God's after your heart. Here's the thing. When he has your heart, you'll live generously. When he has your heart, you won't be afraid to give to him. When he has your heart, you won't make excuses. You'll gladly give to the Lord. You'll gladly give to other people. You'll gladly give to needs And this is why, listen, giving is not so much, you've heard me say this before, Radiant, that giving is not so much about what's in our bank accounts as much as it is about what's in our hearts. We'd like to think it's about, well, I don't have have enough, I don't have enough. But it's actually what's inside of our hearts. I'm going to challenge that. And I understand this because it's going to rub some people the wrong way. And we all have conditions and circumstances. I don't want to diminish those. And yet, what I do know is, is the truth. The truth of God's word says that we all have been called to be generous. So again, whether... Now, if you're not a believer in here, and you're, you, I guess you're off the hook, okay? But if you are a believer and you're following Jesus, you're called to what? To generosity. Generosity. So what do the writers of Scripture, the inspired writers of Scripture, say when it comes to the heart? Because listen, it's so important. In the Hebrew mind, the heart came to stand for the person as a whole. It came to really represent both intellectual and spiritual life. And so this is really important because I don't want to tell you what I think about the heart. I want to tell you what the Word says about the heart. So I want to share with you quickly seven things the Bible says about the heart. Seven things the Bible says about the heart. And they'll be up one at a time. You can write them down quickly or you can take a photo, whatever you want. Number one, the heart is closely connected to the feelings and affections of a person. Closely connected to the feelings and affections of a person. In other words, uh, emotions start in the heart. You guys like joy, right? Uh, The psalmist talks about joy often. Where's that come from? It comes from the heart. In the Bible, there's a phrase that's actually used by the, by the writers of Scripture to represent joy. And it's this, gladness of heart. Gladness of heart means what? It means joy. Now, what about when you're sorrowful and you, um, you find yourself in despair? Well, guess what? There's a biblical phrase. It's heaviness of heart. Heaviness of heart. Notice how it's pointing back to where? The heart. Gladness of heart. Heaviness of heart. Number two, the heart is the center of moral and spiritual life. I'm going to give you references for each of these, okay? Now, they're not all going to be on the screen, but I'm going to share them vocally at least. The heart is the center of moral and spiritual life. Did you know that for the Hebrews, for the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew language, there was no word to represent um, conscience? So what did they use? They used the word heart instead, okay? Uh, Let me show you. Job 27.6, my heart does not reproach any of my days. Job seven six. my heart does not reproach any of my days. He's talking about the conscience there. If you read the ESV, that's where you'll get that. And the NIV, it gives us a bit more of interpretation there. It will also use the word conscience in the NIV. So listen, the heart, out of the heart, listen, comes moral and spiritual life. Number three, the heart is the center of a person's True nature or character, like who a person truly is and really is comes out of the heart. The Bible tells us that Samson, you might remember Samson in the book of Judges, he told Delilah everything that was in his heart. In other words, he was revealing his true nature, who he was. The Bible also talks about this idea of, of, of the heart being contrasted with outward appearances. Remember this from... Um, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says to this, it says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his, his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what, church? The heart. We make judgments based on what people look like, don't we? I mean, we all do this. Come on, let's not lie. Let's not pretend like we don't. We do, right? Whether, you know, how much money they might have it might show itself and how they dress and their appearance and their weight whatever we make judgment calls and and the lord says no i don't i don't look at the outside i look at a person's true condition found in the heart now on the negative side think of it like this: on the negative side depravity is said to also stem from the heart this is where all the evil things come out of right In fact, Jeremiah 17, verse number 9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things, right? It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is desperately sick. It's, deceitful. Jesus said that out of the heart come all kinds of crazy and wicked things like greed and wickedness and slander and murder and immorality. And the, the list goes on. The point that Jesus wants to make is that this defilement, a sin and wickedness comes from within and not from without. It's well, where is it stemmed at? It comes from the heart. Jesus says basically, he says as well, that you'll know a person's heart by the words that comes out of their mouths. Ouch. Ouch. What's in your heart will be revealed by what comes out of your mouth, how you spend your money. Number five, because the heart is at the root of the problem, the heart is the place where God does his work in an individual. Paul, in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, he says that the law has been written on their hearts. What is the evidence of that? People's conscience. Now, what, what do people do, according to Paul, though? People ignore their conscience, and they suppress it because of their wickedness, is what Paul says. So people know, like, well, ultimately, what's right and what's wrong, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, but what have we grown so good at doing it? We, we've Grown so good at just like, I'm going to push that down. Nope. I'm not listening to that voice that tells me this is wrong, this is right. I just got to be me. I have to be unique. I have to be, I have to be myself. And Authenticity is the new word that we use, right? We've suppressed the law of God that's been written on our hearts. But God wants to do a work in your heart today. It's, I'm convinced of that. If you're not a churchgoer, you're, you're welcome here. We love you. God bless you. We're so glad that you're here, but I want to just tell you very, very confidently that God wants to work on your heart. He's not looking for church attendance. He's not even looking for for money from you. He wants to change your heart, transform your heart, and when that happens, the life will happen. The life change will take place. I promise you, it will take place, but the heart is what the Lord wants. Number six, the heart is the dwelling place of God. Did you know this, that there are two members of the Trinity that dwell within our hearts? Two members of the Trinity. Number one is the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment in our hearts. Jesus is also the second person who dwells in our hearts. Paul says in Ephesians 3.17 that his desire was that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Hearts through faith. If Christ wants to dwell inside of you. He wants to dwell where? In your hearts. If Jesus dwells in your hearts, again, that's going to lead to life change. That's going to change the way you look at your spouse. It's going to change the way you treat your children. Why? The heart. God wants the heart. External compliance and obedience is great, but if the heart hasn't changed, can I just tell you, it'll only last a very short amount of time. You'll go back to being that person who you always used to be because God wants the heart. He wants to change your heart. The Bible, listen, talks about the heart, and when it talks about the heart, it's so much more than just an organ that pumps blood. (laughs) It's so much more than that, okay? And then let me show you number seven. Number seven. The heart is where generosity begins. The heart is where generosity begins. Generosity doesn't really begin with our bank accounts. It doesn't really begin with how much we earn, right? It actually begins in the heart. And I know, I understand that people will argue with me when it comes to that, but you can't change it. The fact that you want to change it shows me that it's rubbing against your heart. Now, we've already looked at um, stories in the Bible um, a faith with Joshua and Caleb, and then Joshua coming into the Promised Land in Joshua chapter one. I want to take you back to the Old Testament for a few moments. This is so good, you guys. It's kind of like this behind-the-scenes look at what God is trying to show His people, and it takes place in Deuteronomy chapter eight, I believe. And we're going to get a glimpse. There's eight verses here, or ten through eighteen, and we're going to get a glimpse of God's instruction to His people. For when they are about to come into this land, remember that he promised them. This is their plot of land. Remember, we're praying for Israel. It's it's their land right now. I mean, they're getting bombarded. I don't know if you've seen this. They're getting bombarded by, I think, 900 rockets have been launched in the last two or three days from Iran and from from the Gaza Strip. So just insanity. But listen, this this plot of land is theirs. And God said, when you get into this piece of land, listen, I want you to remember some things. Now, here it is. Verse number 10, it says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Okay, Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with eating good in the hood, right? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Well, how would we do that, God? He says this, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large. Check this out. Your silver and your gold increase, and all you have is multiplied. God's not against wealth. He's not against riches. Just just so you know, let's be, let's be clear on that. He's not against wealth or riches. He's telling God's people, listen, when you come in, I'm going to bless you. It's going to multiply. But listen what he's trying to get at. Verse number 14, then... Your heart will become proud. That's what God has the issue with. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty, that waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known. What? To humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, here's the temptation. You may say to yourself, people of God, my power, my strength, my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant when He swore to your ancestors, as it is today. God is saying, Israel, when you when you come into the land and you're eating good in the neighborhood, right? And you got more hummus and pita, more shawarma than you can even handle. Listen. When you come into your land and you're building beautiful homes and your livestock's increasing, increases and you have herds among herds among herds and your gold, right and your silver are increasing. It's the Lord said, "Multiply." That's amazing. It's multiplied. He said, "Listen. I don't want you forget to forget who gave it to you." If God was against wealth, he would have said, you can never have anything. You should always have crappy stuff, always buy used vehicles, live in the smallest house you can. That's not the Bible. The Bible's not against wealth. The Bible is for our hearts. And I want us to be clear on that, because too many Christians demonize money. They demonize other Christians who have some. It's like, slow down. You're missing like most of the scripture here. The Lord is reminding his people, he says, listen. Don't forget, don't forget, I led you out of slavery. Don't forget, listen, it was me who gave you your prosperity. Don't forget that when you were faithless, I was faithful to you. Don't forget where you used to be or where you used to come from. Listen, I'm the one who's provided for you. And the Lord would say the same to all of us. Hey, don't forget, you were strung out just a few months ago. Don't forget, listen, you started with nothing. You just had an idea. Don't forget. And you know what, the people of God, we were so guilty of what forgetting. And the temptation is that we do what the Lord has said. Pride comes into our hearts. Look at the business I built. Look at what I've done. Look at the employees I have. I started with nothing. I started with this. Look at, look at what my education has done. Look at what my skills have done. Look at all the ideas God has given me, right? I, it's all me, 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 me. It's, and God's like, no, flip that up on its head because you've got it all wrong. The Lord says, I'm the one who's given you those blessings to enjoy them. Pride will lead us to forget where the source of blessing comes from, but his gratitude will create faith in our hearts for the future. And you want faith for the future? You want to walk in divine favor? Listen, it starts with gratitude. Gratitude leads to generosity, not tight-fistedness. Gratitude always leads, church, to generosity. Why? Because we know where our source comes from. We know it's not us. We know that we're here for a limited amount of time. Listen, and we're to steward everything he has. And for some of you, he's given you much. And I know some of you listen and, I, and and God bless you. God has given you multiple talents and skills and you're so you're so gifted, you're so bright, you're so I mean you just have so much potential and you're doing a lot of great things, okay? That's incredible, but we're to steward everything that the Lord has given to us. And remember, listen, it, It's all from him. It's all from him, right? James tells us in James chapter one, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from above. Now listen, if we remember that everything belongs to God and that he's the source of our provision, we don't have to worry about material possessions and the like. I don't have to worry if there's going to be enough. I don't have to worry about that. How do we know that? Because he tells us. (laughs) Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What what is he saying? Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you got to find out what it's there for. What did Jesus get done talking about? He said, don't store up things. On earth, rather store them in heaven, right? You can't serve two masters. If the eye is dark, darkness will be in you. All of it's in context of giving. So Jesus is trying to say, because you heard me say all that, listen, you don't have to worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. How much time do we spend worrying about what we're going to eat? I do. I know. I do. Okay. Oh, gosh. Or about your body. What you will wear, okay, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Jesus has already told us, listen, in light of what I just told you, you don't have to worry. You can give. You can be generous. You can live a generous life. I think that most of us, well, maybe not most of us, but many, maybe may, many of us, okay, because we live in America, in the Western church, we, we, just, we just fall into this automatically almost. I think many of us are, are, are trapped in the happiness trap. What does that mean, Pastor Marco? It means this. The more stuff I have, the happier I'll be. It's the happiness trap. Now listen, you're like, no, nah, I'm not there. But I bet you visit there. Oh, I bet you visit there. Like, if I have that, happiness. If I have that over there, Happiness. We spend our whole lives chasing happy. You know what we never get when we chase happy? We never get happy. We get empty. When we chase God, we get happiness, and we get more blessing. Come on, someone, blessing. Most of us or many of us are caught in this happiness trap, right? The more stuff we have, some of you, you you might be even withholding from God. You're withholding the tithe because it's a happiness trap. The more stuff I have, the happier I get. What you really want is nicer stuff and more stuff, right? Like newer clothes. We want better eating out experiences, right? Um, We want more vehicles, nicer vehicles. We want lavish vacations. Plus, we want a reputable Instagram timeline to prove to others that we have all of these things, Come on, somebody. Preach, Pastor Marco. I will. Some of y'all are not reacting the way you should be reacting. Now, let me just say to you, I get it. I get it. Because on its own, my heart is steered in the same direction. On its own. Listen, my heart is steered in the same direction. So listen, I have to preach to my heart. I have to preach to my heart. And I get to preach to your heart, and you have to preach to your heart as well. And I would just, let let me offer this to you this morning, church. Don't listen to your heart. Lead your heart. Don't listen to your heart, but lead it. Lead it. Because why, Pastor Marco? Because your heart can be so deceptive. It can get so sick. It can be so consumed with me, myself, and I, and my comfort, and me, 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 me. And listen, if if you're just chasing happy, you'll never get happy. You get misery. But if you're chasing God, you get happiness, joy, blessings, favor from him. I want to just encourage you this morning, right, whether you have a little or you have a lot, pursue God and what you do have. Pursue God with what you do have. God's not against your wealth. He's not against your nice stuff. But he is against your stuff, having your heart. God's jealous for your heart. He wants it more than anything. And when you give it to that vehicle, when you give it to that career, when you give it to that person who's not your spouse, God is jealous. He wants your heart. What if we flip this whole thinking on its head? You know, this, I get more stuff, I'm happier. What if we we flipped it on its head because that's what Jesus did? Let me propose something different for you, church. What if we get more by giving more? You're like, that's really hard to believe, Pastor Marco. It might be, but it's true. Listen, church, I am so convinced that God wants to bless you beyond what you can contain. I am so convinced. Why? Because I've seen faithful people be incredibly blessed. Oh, my goodness. People whose hearts were set on the Lord. Not the career. It's good to have a career. Not their stuff. Not the next vacation. But the Lord. Is he against your nice stuff? Not at all. Is he against your vacation? Not at all. Take it. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And if, I want to just remind you this morning, listen, don't make the mistake of reducing the blessing of the Lord to a balance sheet. Your net worth is not a profit and loss statement. That's not who you are. Listen, and if you've been given more than you know what to do with Praise the Lord for that. Praise God for that. But don't you dare forget the reason it's been given to you. Don't you forget to recognize who gave it to you in the first place. Don't forget there's purpose behind it. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, Paul writes to the Corinthians and Macedonians here, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So church, listen, let's be generous for, for future generations. Let's be generous. Let's lead our hearts instead of listening to our hearts. Let's, let's be givers because God is the greatest giver of them all. Let's let, let the money that we spend, that we save, that we use, always be used for the glory of God. You know, Jesus... Taught and he lived at giving. But I want to tell you that without a revelation of this in your heart, you'll never get on board. Without a revelation of this in your heart, you'll never get on board. Your giving will be grudging, it will be joyless. You'll always feel like you're having to give with what you don't have, that you don't have enough. Right? There's always something that's going to be pulling on you until you get a revelation of this in your heart. If we don't understand that God is the greatest giver, we will have no faith to believe that he will fill our supply to overflowing. And that even as we give, God is actually committed to more than replacing what we've given in the first place. What does he want? He wants your trust. That's what he wants. Do you trust Jesus? And the way that we can measure that is with money. It's the one thing that vies for the affections of our hearts more than anything. It's money. It's money. We're consumed by it. You may not be obsessed with wealth, but you're obsessed with what you don't have. It's the same thing. You're obsessed with money. Let me just say this to be clear. We don't give to get, church. We get to give. We get to give. God allows us to be givers so that we might experience the joy of what it means to be generous with him, to be generous with others, that we might experience true life. To what? To unmask and uncover the false narrative that more stuff equals greater happiness, to unmask that and to see, listen, more stuff doesn't, is not equivalent to a happier life, but a life that pursues the Lord. That's the life the Lord blesses. That's the life God gives that person joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction. He's not against your wealth, not at all. But he wants your heart. And he knows, Jesus knows that so easily, so easily our hearts become fixated on the stuff we're in pursuit of. Jesus himself said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so as we close today, this afternoon, I wanna just challenge you this week as you pray ask the Lord who can I be generous with how can I be generous with my time my talent and my treasure let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and I promise you that when you are generous you will experience such a high such joy like you've never experienced you're going to say to your spouse that felt good wow I, I didn't know it could feel that way letting go and being generous to someone else. I want to challenge you this morning maybe you're here and you're withholding that which belongs to God 10% belongs to him is what the scripture says and you're fearful you're complaining you don't believe God's word and some of us say I give when I can I want to challenge that I'm going to push back on that all the way I'm not here to negotiate with you I'm here to push back on that all the way and rather than saying, I give when I can, I want you to do this. I want you to say, I give first as a part of my worship to the Lord. And when you give first, guess what? You can. And it does mean you might have to get rid of one of your 17 streaming services. So do it. Because you can't watch that much TV anyways, right? But listen, I want to challenge you to give first as a part of your worship to God. Not afterwards, not with what, what you have left over. Well, give first. Well, that would require faith, 100%. And then finally, I want to say this to you. Begin to ask the Lord, what would you give to, for future generations so that we could bless those who are not yet here and that future generations would know him, serve him, and love him? And we'll do that next Sunday morning. We'll give out of the overflow of our hearts. And we'll watch God build his kingdom right here in little old Bay City. We'll watch God show off in this town that so many people have just underwritten and blasphemed and cursed. We'll watch the Lord of our, of our lives. We'll watch Jesus Christ build his city right here in Basin. Build his kingdom right here. How's it gonna happen? Through the generosity, through the faithfulness of his people. It's gonna happen. I'm, I'm convinced it's gonna happen. And we're gonna smile. God's going to fill us with great joy and we're going to see hundreds more people walk into his kingdom because of God's, God's people's faithfulness and our generosity. Let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. And we ask God that you would God, heal our hearts, Lord. Heal our hearts. We're so obsessed with money. Our hearts are fixated on all the wrong things, God. We need a new heart, God. We need a heart transplant. Thank you, God, that you didn't come for just exterior obedience, but you came to renew the human heart. So, Father, show us that when you have our hearts, you have everything. It all belongs to you. Remind us that you're a good gift giver. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Remind us that if we give first, God, that if we pursue your kingdom and its righteousness, everything else will be added unto us as well. Matthew six thirty three. remind us of that truth. I know that we're afraid. I know that some of us are scared. I know that some of us are skeptics. I know that some of us are even angry right now. But Father, would you, by the power of your spirit, renew our hearts so that we might worship you and not worship our money? Lord, we love you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in and through Radiant Church. Continue to build your church right here in our city. We love you, God, and we love our city, Lord. We love our city. Greater work, God, that you want to do through us. We believe it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands for our king this morning. He's good.